you can't keep waking up believing the person or the job is going to be different. They're not going to magically change in the night because you deserve that. And that was a really hard lesson and one I'm still learning, to be honest. On today's episode, we talked to author and journalist Daisy Buchanan about our jobs and our careers and how there's often one definition that society hands us to what success looks like and what our careers are supposed to look like. But that definition doesn't work for most of us. So Daisy and I start digging into how we can start writing our own definitions and carving out our own paths for our jobs, our careers, and how we want to live successful lives. To get us started, um, we don't like to define people, so I want to let you introduce yourself however you want to be introduced. Hello, uh, my name is Daisy Buchanan. I am a novelist and the host of the Your Book podcast. Um, I'm also a journalist, a broadcaster and a writer and a, a literal and figurative big sister to various women. That is a wonderful introduction. Um, thank you and thank you for being here. So as you know, the the idea behind the series for us is very much around asking people who have lived through questions that many of us are working through in our own lives to understand how you've gone through it, how you've navigated questions. And for you, we wanted to talk to you about navigating really our relationships with work and different kinds of workplaces, different experiences with work, um, and understanding how to get to the other side of it. So to start with, you have famously talked about how you ended up in your dream job and the job wasn't so much of a dream for you. And because of different reasons, you had to step away from that. So could you tell people who don't know about that experience of yours a little bit more about it? Well, it's interesting because I was trying to write about this the other day. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm on my third dream job. That's more than most people get in a lifetime. Wow, I'm lucky. But also, no dream job feels like a dream. I am, um, I've been... I spent my summer trying and failing to trace the origin of the line I've heard on TikTok. I have no dream job. I do not dream of labour. There was a particular job and it really is any, I mean, I'm, I have very mixed feelings about manifesting and vision boards and I love a bit of woo and I love a bit of, you know, magic and making our own magic. But also I think it's good to be healthily sceptical of these things. But this was kind of a job I manifested because it was, not, you know, in a vague sense, but very literally and specifically a job I had dreamed of doing since I was 17 years old. Um, I was asked to interview for a role as um, one of the editors on a really glossy magazine that was part of a, a national newspaper. Uh, and I had this really specific idea in my mind of what it was going to be and also who I was going to be when I was in that. I went in thinking, I am not good enough, but this job is going to make me good enough. I'm going to leave as this amazing, polished woman who's just absolutely on it at all times. Um, a range of things happened. It was um, a tricksy workplace. And I think that in any, and as you know, you know from Johnson, I hope you've never worked in an environment like this, but it does, I think it's a world that attracts a a range of people who are, you know, they maybe all got workaholic tendencies. You know, I think we all feel a bit insecure. There's a bit of panic. There's a bit of ego. Um, some of the people I work with were like wonderful and delightful and kind. There was one who 
started pretty much on the same day as I did. And it was tricky because our roles were sort of, you know, neither one of us was the other's superior. It was kind of more, more across. And this person, you know, I think for whatever reason, and it might've just been, you know, me being, you know, irritating, enthusiastic and too much, but they were, you know, sort of systematically like shutting me down at meetings. If I had ideas, they just, you know, say no, 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 or ignore me. I'd be really friendly and the more insecure and frightened I got, the more bright and friendly I was. And like, hi, how are you? Can I get you a coffee? I'm going upstairs. And they just swivel their chair. And the first couple of times I thought, oh, maybe they didn't hear. And then I thought, am I going mad? And it was so you know, subtle and brutal. And I have been, you know, I was violently bullied when I was a child at school and it was nothing like that. And it was everything like that. Um, and, you know, and while that was happening, it was a world where the, you know, no one in the office wanted to hold my hand. I was in there. It wasn't like my first job. I was supposed to know what I was doing. Another fatal, painful thing was I was really bored. I didn't really have enough to do. And looking back, I still sometimes feel a bit of shame and a bit of sadness and guilt because I thought, well, if I'd only worked harder and made it work for me, if I'd looked at where I was and responded, I think the trouble was that it was my dream job when I was 17. And then magazine itself had changed so much since I was 17. And I really wanted to write these very sort of, you know, sharp, witty essays that they didn't really run anymore. And so I wasn't really, I definitely got the impression I'd be doing more writing than I was. And the thing that broke my heart was as an editor, my job was to commission other writers. I told myself a story about what that meant and the story I told myself was they think I'm completely talentless they think I'm terrible and that's why they're not taking a chance on me and you know I don't think that was the truth of the situation at all so it wasn't the right job for me and if I'd been fully sane and cheerful and if I'd taken the job and myself a little less seriously, I would have just seen that straight away. But instead, I was really bending myself to to fit something and fit into a space where I wasn't supposed to fit. But also that I was going in and being like, well, why isn't it different? And I think a lot about the relationships I have, admittedly, with like some members of my family, as well as ex-partners, where I would keep trying, but also I keep I just don't understand why they're not being who I want and who I need. I don't understand why no one's meeting my needs. And I just, I had too many expectations. And you have to say, well, no, it's never going to be this way. You, you leave or you stay and you accept that, but you can't keep waking up believing the person or the job is going to be different. They're not going to magically change in the night because you deserve that. And that was a really hard lesson. And what I'm still learning, to be honest. It sounds like you were talking about how you had this idea of the job and then there was the reality of the job and there were two different things. And even it, there were like, it sounds like there were several different things, right? The idea of the job from when you were like 17 and then the reality of the job and the idea of the dream job and it changing. How long did it take you to like vocalize it in any way or act on it? 
or did you have to like sit in the tough place for a little bit and just like experience the toughness? I wasn't there for a long time and I was also I'd been hired for maternity cover so it didn't feel like a a full you know like I sort of signed up to do this job until the end of time so I think I was there for maybe three or four months and I knew it was really bad when I just start crying at the weekend and I couldn't stop. I had a real kind of mental block. I couldn't really come out of the hole. I couldn't get any perspective on it and think, look, this is just the job and you can probably get another one. Um, I really felt like at the time, it felt like a breakdown. My anxiety was sort of, was paralyzing me. And I just kind of, as soon as I thought about anything to do with work, you know, and it got to a point where I was crying in the shower and trying to get it together to get myself dressed. And I couldn't do that. Um, and I went to my GP and talked to her about anxiety. And um, at the time, I think I also had a, a kidney infection, um, which I usually do when I get quite stressed. That's the first sort of sign to be like, hey, stop, slow down, what's going on? So I think I went to get um, some kidney medication. I had like a couple of days off work. Um, and when you say kidneys, people know what that is and people kind of think, right, yeah, that's a, you are properly and legitimately ill. And I was talking about the stress and the anxiety and my GP said, well, you know, we could probably get you signed off work. And there was a bit of me and I don't really know what happens in this circumstance. I hope that that, that support is available for people who need it where you can be signed off work if the job is a temporary one. But I also thought, oh no, because however long I got signed off for, I would have to go back and I'd be feeling really guilty and panicky and it just makes sense to kind of to quit. I mean, I had, I was really, really lucky in that at the time, you know, I was a freelance writer and I kept freelancing and I kept doing the other jobs I was, I was doing and that I sort of I had going on. I really didn't want to you know, stop this. Also, I was writing, um, and, you know, writing pieces for other newspapers and magazines. And that felt like, you know, I tied up so much of my identity within that, which is something that I'm still trying to unpick and come back to. So I felt as though I had some options. I, I felt a lot of shame and humiliation, though, because um, I'm sure you know the way it works. There's There are various kind of you know, trade emails and bulletins that go out and they say, oh, this person started a job at this place. And everyone I knew seemed to see it and seemed to get in touch and say, oh, wow, that's where you're working. Um, and all I could think about was, oh, everyone's going to think I failed. And I was thinking about these imaginary people who probably don't exist. Who I thought they'll be just delighted to see me fail. I've proved them right. And I was so deep in the anxiety hole that it took me quite a long time to sort of stop and think, who were these people? Who am I talking about? Anyone who likes me and loves me would want me to leave. And anyone who is glad that I couldn't stick it out, well, you know, that, that's a monstrous thing to believe of anyone. Why do I care? And if they care, then I shouldn't care about what they think. It's, yeah, it's... So much of this resonates so much with me and my own experiences. And there's something you said earlier on about how work feels very tied to identity and something I relate to deeply. And it's it's also, I imagine, I've been in similar situations where a job hasn't been right anymore for me or I've, it's, it's not looked the way I thought it would or 
it's just gotten to the point where like I need to leave and it's very hard because you pour so much of yourself into the work and you feel like you have to at least for me I felt like I had to keep pouring most of myself into my work to like to stay in those trade emails right to like get those messages from people to feel relevant and then to step away it's like well will someone want to hire me again is this the end of everything I've worked toward Am I still, like, I remember going through a period where I was like, am I still a person if I don't do this work anymore? Like, who am I without the shell of what I spent my entire 20s building up, which is really hard to unpick and work through? How how did you navigate that? Oh, Masima, it's so hard. And I'm still, still navigating it. Um, I don't know if uh, this resonates with you at all, but I often think about you know, education, and I was really, really lucky in that I always felt quite supported at school. I was told that good grades are very important, and for the most part, I got good grades, and that was a really big thing for me as well, that, you know, it being sort of achieving and being the top, and it got very toxic where if I wasn't top, I would be devastated and sort of desolate and heartbroken. When I was, I was not kind of proportionately happy and joyous. I just thought I'm maintaining my status quo. And still now, you know, the work I do, the more I do, the more I'm aware that I haven't done. And it's really, really tricky to find that, especially I think, you know, when I'm self-employed. I know that most people who are in full-time employment, when I was in full-time employment, I very, very rarely got, you know, appraisal bonuses and all the things, you know, no one sort of says like, you're doing great. And I probably did get it more than most. My first magazine job, um, List Magazine, and my first dream job, a job I adored, um, my bosses were incredibly encouraging and they did take the time to kind of reach out and hold my hand and sort of, and mentor me. I think, I mean, something I think about all the time now is I'm 37. I would love a mentor. I would love for someone older and wiser to come and say, I've been watching you and I'm going to guide you and give you advice and I'm going to help. Um, yeah, the truth is I have so many mentors in my life and some I work with. I love my literary agent and my editor and, you know, some are mentors like you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, whose books on writing I love, you know, Anne Lamott, I think of all the time. She she guides me and she's given me the greatest advice in the world. And it doesn't matter that I don't know her. I won't meet her. I hope to one day she'll be a dream guest on your book podcast if she's listening, which she might be. Um, but about not kind of, I think that the hardest lesson to learn, and I think it's never been more true, is like, don't, wait to do the thing you want to do you can build it yourself I certainly did that with your book with the podcast and I saw all these people with podcasts and thought I want to do that why has no one asked me and eventually I thought well I've just got to if you build it they will come um and again with you know with writing books uh, my first novel Insatiable I started writing because I had the idea and I was excited and I wrote quite a lot of it and then I got incredibly scared and I thought I don't know what I'm doing I can't do this um at the time I was uh, the non-fiction books that I'd written you know I felt that they they were not doing so well I felt a bit kind of you know, sad and scared about sort of, again, my expectations of how how people sort of respond versus how they did. And, you know, people were, you know, the re reviews are really positive and people are really kind. And I still hear from people about that, but I didn't feel 
changed by them. I didn't feel successful. And I was also writing for a website called The Pool, which sort of imploded quite spectacularly at the very beginning of 2019. And they'd been a, a very regular employer of me. And also the pieces I wrote for The Pool, I felt like they were being widely read. And that did all sorts of wondrous and dreadful things for my ego. And so around that time, I thought, I have nothing to lose. I've got to stop being scared. I've got to finish this novel. And it would be really, really lovely if we could, you know, sell it and get it published. But more to the point, I just want to prove to myself I can write 90,000 words with an ending that, you know, something that feels like a story. This is something I have to try and do and see what happens. Um, so yeah, all of the, I think, the things I've been proudest of are the things where I've just had to make it myself. And that's really difficult because I want love and I want validation and I want commissions and I want to feel like I'm a good girl and people like me, which I wish I didn't want that, but I do, but half the battle. We all want that. It's also really interesting hearing you describe it because it feels like what you eventually ended up like wanting to work toward was the work, right? Like writing 90,000 words was the reward you were like holding up on a pedestal and not the, the acclaim or like the ways in which, because I definitely have experienced that. And I think most of us, whatever we do, the experience of like hoping that like writing the book, which it was the same for me. of like, I expect my life will change. Your life doesn't change. Like you still live in your same flat and you're still like going home and you're in your pajamas and like doing whatever it like, the basics of your life don't change at all. And, you know, you'll have like a book launch or your friends will take you out for a nice dinner and then it's it's done and life moves on and you have to you have to work toward the next thing. And it's not like there's ever an ending, which I think can sometimes be hard because we, we expect that like things will miraculously get better if we get that dream job or we do that dream thing at work, but it doesn't. And like, how do you start read? Like, how did you start redefining what success looked like away from the acclaim of the books to writing the 90,000 words that you were deeply proud of? Oh, that is a good question because um, I don't really know the answer. I mean, I think, so I've just finished writing my third novel, which is coming out next June, and I'm doing the copy edit. And that has been a real, it's a gift, but it's like one of those sort of awful, like biblical gifts where it does make you so much better and stronger in the long run be like ah I've got to look after the donkey or whatever um it's a, a thing a beautiful and really really fortunate thing about writing is there's only one way to get better and that's to to write and write and write um I think I'm just and I don't because this is something I'm almost hardwired to do, it's something I have never not done. It, sometimes I talk to people who don't feel like this, and I'm like, but really, I don't understand. Like, I will touch wood, and, you know, my goodness, I'm scared. As soon as I say this, it's like, no, it's gone, it's gone, it was a gift, and it's gone. I'm constantly, constantly thinking up stories, like characters and premises are just in my head all the time and I have a feeling that you know if 
the apocalypse, I can't say that word properly, apocalypse comes, um, which it might, I will be writing words in the mud with a stick. Yeah, it's hard not to feel as though, it's hard to remember that progress isn't linear, that you're sort of, you're not going backwards. It's really, really difficult when you've known, when something has felt successful, and I'm going to say feel because it's such a bizarre, there are no metrics, there are no binary things. And actually this morning when I was journaling, I had to make a list of all the things that happened in 2022. I was like, no, that is a really good year by anyone's reckoning. And it's about, I need to find ways to feel successful instead of doing that, looking for ways that I'm not. I think Brene Brown, stop walking around the world looking for ways that you don't belong, which I do a lot. I, I really love that, finding ways to feel successful, because I think it's also you and I are both fortunate in that, at least it seems like we love what we do. And it's a source of identity, of passion, of joy. I've never really felt like I, I give so much of myself to my work because it, it feels like it's my like it's very purpose driven for me. It's I I whenever people ask me about like dream jobs it all like circles back eventually to like some version of like, I will be finding and telling stories, whether it's like in this newfound format or inside a company or whatever it is. But not everyone obviously has reached that point or has the ability to have a job that fuels that passion. And it's like, how do you, how do you, or might be in a job that doesn't love them back to take the, the careering tagline. And at that point, it's like, well, how do you redefine success, right? Like, how have you done it where taking a moment in time where you feel unsuccessful or you feel like success is out of grasp or the world around you has defined success in a way that just like excludes you because maybe your job isn't your passion or you don't have like the high flying career or you're not in a profession that is like deemed successful societally or um, there's, there's no way out, right? Like you're working a, a nine to five job, you're a retail worker, whatever it is. And you know that there would be other things you want to be doing if only you could, or or maybe work isn't like the, the source of joy, passion, whatever it is, and you don't even know where to start. And I'm wondering when you've been in whatever version of that, how have you gotten unstuck out of like the definitions the world provides of success? It's interesting because I was definitely in that position in my first job after graduating. That would have been about, I think, 2007. Um, and... I think attitudes have changed so much now. And, I, you know, I think look at the younger, wiser people talking about this and, and we talk about quiet quitting, um, which I think is desperately misunderstood. And I, it's me realising after such a long time that sort of the capitalism and the one of the evil things it does is to think, no, you bring passion and enthusiasm and you bring a million percent of you to your job, even when realistically it might not be a job that you've dreamed about doing. I think connections at work are really important. And some of my happiest, happiest work times have been when I've really loved my colleagues. I had a Saturday job um, preparing medical documents to be scanned, which is as much fun as it sounds. And I love the people I work with so much that, um, you know, I adored it. I mean, the same with the the magazine. I think I just didn't find my people there. And if I had, I could have stayed there forever. Bliss, my first job, it was bliss because 
after an initial feeling of um, anxiety, I bonded with those brilliant women so quickly. Um, someone I love who I'm very close to does a job that, and this person's really, really talented, um, and it's a creative job, but there aren't actually that many creative opportunities to that it delivers. Um, and I think they often feel overlooked and exploited and really, really fed up. And they have started, um, they found a very cool hobby. And it was something they've always wondered about and always felt a bit nervous of. And they saw a poster one day for, it's like new classes starting. And I think, I feel like that has transformed their attitude. Like we used to talk a lot about how you know, what an awful time they were having at work. And now having an outlet, having an identity outside the job and, you know, something really, really precious that you're good at, I think that's huge. I do. I also think that's hard to find, though. Um, it's really difficult to do a hobby and just love it and not think, oh, this could be an Etsy shop and this could be a TikTok account or this could be something, um, which I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to make it something else because all we want to do is survive and we're served examples of people who've done that constantly and the first thing you say to anyone if someone makes you an incredible cake and you're like you could sell these like why, why are we putting that expectation on anyone but I guess it's helped me to kind of you know try and step back and be mindful of that and I mean so at the moment I'm in this odd space where I don't I have a lot of work to do but no urgent work. And also lots of those sort of nebulous jobs that you do when you're self-employed that aren't, you know, necessarily things you can invoice for, including the relentless chasing of invoices. Um, it's a job in itself. And I feel really guilty and confused about what to do at this time. And something I really, really miss and have nostalgia for is when I've done jobs where I didn't have to sort of give my all to that job every single day when it was kind of enough to have not every day but very occasional days where you were just refreshing your email for eight hours until you could go home um and yeah I think it helps I hope to even when you're really 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 passionate about what you do and you bring so much yourself to it you can't you have that intensity of passion all the time or you will burn out but I also think you burn out if you're not you don't have an outlet for your passion it's a very difficult balance and I think we're all veering between the two it's you it's something I've been thinking a lot about which you just said about also you can't be passionate all the time because it often feels or at least for me it often felt like work has kept wanting and wanting and wanting more and more of me partly because I give it, right? And a lot of us have this where it's kind of the curse of being competent as well, where you feel like you have to bring your all to work and then work demands more of your all because you can, you have more to give. And I find it really scary to say no because it's my source of financial stability, right? Like if I say no and my boss is like, well, all right, bye then, I'm done. And I imagine there are a lot of people out there there's like the the balance between the quiet quitting and what if I get found out if I can't quit, right? Or like, what if I get found out if I leave before whoever? Or what if this other person who's working harder than I am gets the one slot? Or wh whatever it is where you feel like you have to bring so much of yourself constantly because that is also what is expected of you. And then it's 
where is the time? Where is the energy? Where is the, the space for like the passion to exist elsewhere? Oh, that's so true. It's been turned into a game show. We all feel like we're sort of hustling at judges' houses, desperate to be chosen for the next stage. Um, I found that going self-employed, going freelance, really, really, really helped and changed my relationship with the people who are employing me. And it's you know far from perfect still. I still feel very insecure. I still feel anxious. I still will sometimes say yes to something, not because I want that job, but because I want the next job after that, which I don't know if that even exists. You always want to be asked back. But, um, you know, a huge thing was not having a specific salary, really changed my relationship with money and doing really similar work and sometimes being paid, you know, 10 times as much for something or a 10th as much for something else and thinking, oh, this, this is nonsense, isn't it? This is a completely pointless marker of value. This doesn't sort of help anyone. It's, you know, really, really arbitrary. And I think that loosened me up a bit. Um, and also doing some freelance projects where I thought I'm really happy to do this to the best of my ability, but I can have boundaries around that because there's other stuff I'm working on that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And that's, allowed me to not just spend all my time letting it, let it be sucked up on something. But it really is good luck that I stumbled into that way of working. I still get it wrong all the time. And I know that lots of people don't want to be self-employed. I did not want to be self-employed, to be honest. When I left Bliss, it was because um, they were making cuts and they thought well, the magazine might get shut down. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I'd been there for too long. I really, really had. I'd been applying for other jobs. I wasn't getting those jobs. After, by the time I'd been there for three years, I knew I didn't have any new creative energy to bring, that I needed to be somewhere else to be stimulated and to be excited. And yeah, when I left, I had no idea what was going to happen. And people kept saying, so you've got loads of savings, right? And loads of work lined up. I'm like, no, no, not like not for want of trying, believe me, but I have none of those things. Um, but I do also think that um, depending on the work you do, the pretty much the best things you can be as a new or any like work person, but you know, especially as a newly self-employed person, is um, be kind and polite and be on time. Um, I think it's much better to hand in work that you feel very insecure about the standard of when it's asked for than to hand in something that you feel is perfect two days late. I'm curious to go back a little, you said, this is touching on what you just said as well. You said that you've gotten better at the boundaries, right? Like setting those boundaries with work um, and with employers and with money. What kinds of boundaries have you been setting and like, how have you, how are you navigating those decisions as well? Like, do you have someone, do you have a mentor who's like helping you figure out do you have resources you turn to? Like, how are you doing this very actionably for someone who's listening to this or watching this and it's like, yes, I need to do that. How? I can specifically remember getting an email um, on a Sunday afternoon and it was for a piece I'd written and I think it was a, a rewrite. And I was quite cross because the comments that I'd had back were things that I hadn't been hadn't been asked to be on the brief in the first place. And 
on this email on Sunday afternoon, they said, no, can you do this for Monday morning? And I thought, well, no. And, you know, and even now I'm aware that the person asking me to do that was probably in a position where she was struggling with boundaries and things being demanded of her that were difficult and awkward. But, um, you know, I thought, no, I'm not doing this at the weekend. That writing this already has been such a miserable experience that if you never want to work with me again, that is that is fine. Um, I've often done that with, not often, so it makes me sound very difficult, maybe I am, but um, when there's a sort, you know, what I feel is an unreasonable request based on the work I've already done that hasn't made it better. And I think it's liberating to think, well, do I, and sometimes I think in terms of what, what I might get paid and what I give up. I'm like, well, this is, am I at a point with this work where I would pay X amount of money to have this whole stressful thing kind of exercised through my life? And if it's yes, then that's a good way to put the boundary. And always try to be polite about it, but to say, this is, um, you know, not what I've been asked to do. But I'm aware that's a really... There's a lot of privilege that comes with being able to make that call. That is wise. That is very wise. Um, and I was going to ask you how the the way you navigate the boundaries now, or the way you set those boundaries now, is different from when you started out because you were like grafting to get your name out there more, right? And to get any sort of writing assignment. But that piece of advice, I imagine, applies wherever you are in whatever kind of work situation where you can only influence your own your own behavior and your own attitude toward the boundaries, not the other person's on the other side. Yeah, and I don't think boundaries are necessarily quite as rigid and inflexible as they need to be. For example, in terms of what I get paid um, for different projects, if, if I'm really excited about something and if I really, really believe in something, um, and I think it's a, an important project and a, a good project and I know that the you know the budget they have is limited I would really really happily take a pay cut to do that and sort of the other work you know where people should have the money to pay for pay someone properly that's kind of what that is paying for so you know those sort of issues I think it's always really good as well to be transparent with people and let them know where you are um you know, if you are going to be late with someone to tell them as soon as, soon as you can, um, you know, to sort of to make it clear what you what you hope and expect from people. Um, but yeah, you only learn by doing what well, that's an amazing, amazing thing. I saw a quote on Twitter and I'm going to paraphrase it horribly and I can't remember who said it, but it's along the lines of um, I think I may have seen it in Holly Whitaker's um, sobriety newsletter, which I love, which is um, we do wise things um because we have learned and we only learn by doing foolish things i love that because it gives us so much permission to do foolish things or to fail even and i all oh, that permission oh masumi when you said that word it's so i need to give myself permission to do so much stuff including to fail and not be not be perfect and i think oh that is so caught up with the ambition, you know, do we, how do we, 
what I um, I was thinking that what I've defined as kind of ambition and success is wanting to feel, I want to feel special and safe always at the same time. I never feel either of those things. Nothing ever gives that feeling to me. And, but also I, I can give myself permission to both feel those things and not have to strive for those things relentlessly to know that, you know, every day is different. Still that what I'm struggling with is my standards for myself and for the rest of the world are impossibly high. And I think maybe I will, you know, lower standards and lower expectations. <laughs> maybe that's what will save us all. Not lower, even different, right? Where yeah. it's like, if the ambition is, it's, it's a balance I struggle with a lot and think about a lot is we, the world needs people to be ambitious to, for like things to happen, right? For art to be made, for change to be made, for all of that. But at the same time, if we're constantly striving in a way that like denies us any sort of like sense of fulfillment, then we're just constantly striving, which it like it's it feels at least for me it feels like too much sometimes. Like, what if this was just enough, right? Like, what if I could just say this is enough for right now, not forever. But for right now and what i'm trying to do is to have faith in myself that when i am i feel sort of exhausted and overwhelmed and unable to push and I'm like, no just push harder and do more and try and think well no i need to have faith that something will fill me up again that no good work was ever done with me shouting at myself and forcing myself and getting upset with myself it's always that gem of an idea and that spark uh, to come back with the conversation that we had at the beginning about curiosity that anything makes you think oh i wonder what if what would happen so much of what i think success is and what success isn't is me pursuing what i believe to be is a fixed outcome that's always out of my grasp but i just always be thinking well i wonder what happens i wonder what would happen if i if i took a break and i i came up with something great and yeah, to come back to what you were saying about people who are in positions where they're thinking well this isn't my dream job and i don't know what is and you know i sympathize hugely and I remember how that felt and it's and it can be draining and exhausting and you can feel totally burnt out and sort of that you're giving too much of yourself and guilty for not giving more and wishing you could care more it's if there's anything you can do to create a little space a little glimmer for something to kind of shine within and that might be um that might be reading more, that might be going to see some comedy, that might be watching something that you'd not seen, going to look at some, look at art and be in nature. That sounds like the most trite, obvious thing to say, but I am, that's another thing that I've stopped drinking and I've got really into clouds. I'm at that stage in my life, but it helps. It really, really helps. And the, um, there's a Twitter account called stop doom scrolling or something and i've really noticed those sort of reminders like have you looked up lately and i know that is such a sort of boring annoying obvious thing to say um i really noticed as well how addicted i am to looking and consuming and gathering and gleaning short bits of information and craving this hit that never comes when i'm online um and I think, yeah, noticing and being mindful of it is hopefully a really 
good big step in the right direction. But yeah, to just find that spark of possibility, whatever makes you think, oh, I'm curious about that. It's lovely that you also mentioned things outside of work, work, because I was going to ask you, not everyone can or has the ability to, has the privilege to be able to like quit a job when they're burned out, right? Like sometimes you just have to, you have to keep doing it. And how, and it's it's so hard, I have found, at least when I'm burned out, to to even know what I'm curious about because I, I feel so done with everything and it's just like a, I will go home and park myself in front of Netflix and watch a lot of things and I'm kind of on autopilot and it's hard to break out of that autopilot um, or out of that, that sense of just like, okay, I, I feel like shit, I'm going to keep going. I feel like shit, I'm going to keep going. And it's clear that work isn't fulfilling and it's, you can't leave work and it's like, okay, now what? But if, if the op opportunities also lie in like going and looking at clouds, there's, it doesn't have to be big things, right? That's what it sounds like you're saying. I think any change is great. I think humans really, really badly need a little scrap of novelty. Um, and it can be the tiniest thing. There's um, something I think about a lot, and I believe it is a 1950s marriage expert or psychologist who said about like, if you're in a couple, and you keep having the same fight and you're always saying the same sort of things and it's the same subject that triggers you. Next time you start having the fight, stop and put hats on and then carry on. And then you'll be having the fight with a hat on and at least that's different. And yeah, I think that um, if you're able to, and it's really, really difficult when you're so burnt out to be curious about anything new, but you know, a... Uh, But, you know, a new bus route, a new cereal, a new kind of shower gel. And that's probably really, really annoying. But I also, because I noticed this in myself, how when I'm feeling burnt out, I absolutely am like, mm, no, thank you, not new. I want to reread books. Um, I do not ever want to listen to new music. I want to listen to the music I like because I like it. Um, I, if someone sort of says, what do you want to eat? I'm like, well, chips you know nothing scary just but then I never regret it I never regret going outside I never regret moving my body I never regret reading a book um I've been boring everyone with this I'm reading Bleak House at the moment which is a book I have avoided reading for 37 years of my life because it is about a bleak house um so I'm reading a chapter every morning and another chapter if I feel like it and I'm used to, you know, loving books and really binging them. And if I love something, I think, well, it must be a good book because I just want to keep reading and keep reading. But um, I worked on a short essay with an independent publisher called The Pound Project. Um, it's called Burn Before Reading. It came out early this year. And that's something I'm really delighted that I did in 2022. That was joyous. Because um, I talked about my own relationship with reading in books and how that blurs personal and professional lines and how that is a joy and a treat and a gorgeous thing. But also, it can also, my hobby has been ruined because I made it work. And so I wanted to write about how I struggled to read and became estranged from books and how I taught myself to just find the joy in it again. Um, and I think that reading if you're struggling, if you can just read a chapter of something for 15 minutes in the morning, you probably won't wake up and think, hooray, my book. I mean, I quite often don't. Um, but then 
the more you do it and the more you start to pay attention, the more you'll feel the benefits. And there are so many physical benefits to reading and what it does to your heart rate, your concentration. You will drift off during paragraphs. I do. I will be thinking of all the like, oh, they've not paid that interest invoice yet and I need to call Eon and oh, my life's a nightmare. And, oh, I'm so annoyed about this. And then the book will keep kind of calling you and drawing you back. Um, and I find that reading gives me the strangest and loveliest ideas and a line or an event from a book will sort of pop into my head and my brain will interpret interpret it, interpret that not in a literal way. Um, it will, you know, sort of, it's, it's planting seeds. I think that we need to, and it's, you know, an observation plenty of people have made before me. And obviously Catherine May in wintering does it so well, but we just, we cannot be in bloom all the time. And capitalism makes us feel like that's what we should be doing. We need to plant our seeds. We need to, sometimes the ground will be hard and cold and it will feel like nothing's ever going to grow again. But it is, it is seasonal. We are seasonal beings. I, I wrote an email to an artist earlier this year who I really admire, um, where I was at the beginning of the year feeling very much like I was in a winter. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm feeling so lost and I feel like I'll never have any ideas ever again. Help, please. Um, and he wrote me this lovely email along those lines where he said, remember that things are growing underground while you're during the winter and there's a season for blossoming, right? And every season cannot be a season for blossoming. And I, I try and hold on to that a lot now when, when it feels like things aren't emerging because there will be space and time for it. And patience is difficult, but also there will be space and time for, for everything. The world is working for us in ways we can never know. I recently came across the concept of pronoia, so paranoia. We fear that everyone hates us. Everyone's talking about us behind our back. Everyone is sort of plotting our demise. Pronoia is the idea that everyone is going around saying nice things about you and how much they love, you know, our work and our, you know, what we do and how great we are. And I think a little healthy pronoia is an excellent thing because people do and people are. And with that Pound Project book, um, I pitched to JP, the editor, said, I would love to work with you at the very end of 2019. And JP sent back an email saying, sorry, no, we've got sort of too many things on the go. And I don't know kind of when the next one's going to happen. And, and I did feel really, really gutted. Um, it had been a long time since I'd had any kind of professional rejection. And I felt quite low about it. And, um, you know, I, I recovered. We did. And then, you know, the pandemic was quite distracting and moved things along quite quickly. Um, and then in May this year, JP got in touch and said, do you still want to write a book for us? So I thought that's a seed. That's a really, really hopeful experience. That's something that I, I planted. And I felt as though the immediate sort of pushback was uh, a no, a nice no, but still a, you know, a kind of a, a judgment and something to be ashamed of. But I couldn't have, the book I've written, which I'm, you know, really, really proud of and happy about, and I've had such a lovely response to, I couldn't have written that um, in 2019. It was the right time to do it now. I'm so glad I did. The world was working in your favour. Yes, paranoia. Thank you so much for this lovely conversation. To wrap us up, I'm going to ask you the very cheesy question that we ask everyone, um, where this is called Little Revolutions because we know that change can happen, big sweeps, but also... Very often, 
changes happen in the, the little revolutions within our own lives and in our communities and our relationships in our work. So for people listening who are watching, who are trying to figure out how to make that change in their relationship to work, if they feel like they're not successful, if they feel like they're burnt out, what little revolutions can they make in their own lives? What would you suggest? There's a, a meme I love um, with an expletive in it, um, which I won't say, but it's <laughs> on Poster Journal. Nothing is forever, you silly bitch, is my mantra. I love that. And that has sparked so many revolutions within me that, Everything is temporary, absolutely everything. Success, failure, moments, all of it. I think we fall into that hole of thinking it is, um, you know, we can do anything for five minutes, 15 minutes, an hour. And that's not to say we should put up with things that are untenable or, you know, being hurt or being abused. But yeah, we can, we don't have to change everything all at once sustainable change is where it's at and that can be a tiny thing and it, it doesn't and also it doesn't have to be like oh I have bullet coffee now or oh I get up at 4am and I do gratitude journaling just like just wear a hat every day and see if you can if you can make that habit stick which is neither here nor there I'm obsessed with hats for some reason um then you can make any any little change at all um I never ever thought I could stop drinking alcohol um one day at a time um i don't know what my future holds but i am now um i will be i'm coming up to six months i guess um and that is something where the, sometimes the changes feel enormous but more often than not they feel tiny and sometimes i think are they big enough have they made it you know of enough value but yeah just see what you can do the anything that cultivates curiosity um everything you know small small things done regularly um read for 15 minutes every morning anything you like skip as much as you like it doesn't have to be anything serious it can be your favorite picture book it can be um but there's recently recommended to me barbara throws a wobbler by nadia shireen it can be war and peace it can be anything in between but i think that that will spark all kinds of revolutions, big and small. That is such a wonderful answer. Thank you so much. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Daisy, for this wonderful conversation. Check out our show notes for more about Daisy, her books, and where you can follow her.